And what I want us to do is to contemplate something about the one we've come to remember today through the elements that he has given us, saying, by this, do this in remembrance of me. We are presently studying on Wednesday evenings Isaiah. And I thought, you know, we're right in that portion of Isaiah that really tells us so much about our wonderful Savior. Even Isaiah in his name, called by God for that ministry, is a reminder of what only the Lord can do. Anybody remember the meaning of Isaiah's name? Very good. The Lord is Savior. Do you hear at the end of his name, Isaiah? Yahweh, and actually it would be salvation is Yahweh, or salvation is of the Lord, or Savior is the Lord, something to that idea. But even in his name, he's really saying what the book is going to be about. What a great book we have of the salvation of Yahweh. And one of the common ways in which Isaiah refers to the Lord in this book is he is the Holy One or the Holy One of Israel. One of the most common ways he's mentioned in the book of Isaiah. Because you and I need to recognize to whom then will you liken God? Or with what likeness will you make of him? To say that he is the Holy One is he is the unique one. There is no one like him at all. He is the one being who has no mystery. He knows all things, but he is also the one being with whom there is mystery for every creature. Isaiah wrote during a period of time when there was an upheaval going on in Israel. And what we find is that Isaiah wrote during primarily the time of Hezekiah but a few years before King Hezekiah, and then his ministry concluded at the end of Hezekiah's reign. And he had the death of a martyr at the hands of Hezekiah's son, Manasseh. And here we find that Manasseh was a picture, first of the fact that the nation of Israel was rejecting God's word. We learned early in the book of Isaiah that the nation and the leadership of the nation said, who is this man going to teach knowledge? He makes things so simple. It's just line upon line and precept on precept. Let him go teach the toddlers. And so then the Lord said, well, I'm going to give them a message of line upon line and, you know, statement upon statement, and they will hear my voice, even though it will be with a foreign tongue. And the Assyrians came in and confirmed that God's judgment was coming, just like Isaiah had been telling them. His contemporaries were Hosea and Michael and Amos, Micah and Amos. And in it, he tells us about the sovereign work of the righteous one, and in particular, God's great salvation. And woven throughout the book of Isaiah are references made to the one who will bring this salvation to the people of Israel. I mean, very early in the book, 
we find that he is Emmanuel, the virgin who will be with child and bear a son. And they will call his name Emmanuel. And the one main section in the book of Isaiah is about the fact that this is Emmanuel's land and Emmanuel's work and what Emmanuel will do. We also learn that he was the tender shoot that comes from Jesse. Remember, Jesse was David's father. And first would be the shoot that pictured the coming Messiah, the coming deliverer. That was David himself. But this one is a child who was born and a son who was given, whose name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And when you look at the book of Isaiah with the sovereign work of the Holy One, the Unique One, The first half is about the retribution that men deserve for their sin. Really, Isaiah chapters 1 through 35. A historical event in the life of of Hezekiah in chapters 36 through 39 to indicate that even though God would deliver them from the Assyrians, they still, the people of Judah, were needing the purifying work of God and the Babylonians would come in and would be the instrument in the hand of the Lord to discipline them. And then in Isaiah 40 through 66, the redemption of the Lord and the work that he accomplishes. And if you've been involved in the study with us on Wednesday evenings, you'll remember that this last section, 40 through 66, is divided in three parts. And the end of each section is with a statement that Isaiah makes. There is no peace to the wicked, says the Lord, my God. There is no peace, no shalom to the wicked. And what you have is the first section is Isaiah 40 through 48. And what it really focuses on is the... um, purpose of God bringing shalom or peace. And we might think that God's reason for doing it is because we're in a turmoil and and things just aren't the way they ought to be. Um, So many people today can sing about the fact that this world is not what it was intended to be, but often miss the mark as to why it's not. It's because man is in rebellion against God. And man is trying to find his own way to explain the existence of the universe and what ought to be honored and exalted. And God's purpose in bringing this peace is so that every creature will recognize there is no one like the Lord. The whole reason God is working in the affairs of the world today And why he is accomplishing this redemption is so that every creature will know there is no one, nothing like the living God. He is the unique one. He is the one who began with saying, you know, to whom then will you liken me? Look at the heavens. They're the work of my fingers. The nations of the earth, they're just mere drops in a bucket. They're dust on the scale. Or in the same way, he says, I am going to bring Cyrus and he, I'm going to put before him an open door that all the peoples of the earth may know that I am God and there is no one like me. 
And the whole purpose of what God is doing is so that the universal worship that he rightfully deserves will be given to him. At the end of chapter 57, we have the indication we've concluded the second major section because it ends with the same phrase. There is no peace to the wicked, says the Lord, my God. And then in chapters 58 through 66, in that last section, Isaiah describes the program that God has in place for bringing about the peace that he has promised. And guess what's right in between God declaring, what is my purpose? Well, it is to affirm, to be sure that every creature knows that I am the unique being and there is no one like me and I receive the glory and honor from creatures that I so rightfully deserve. And the last section which says, here's the events that are going to take place for God to establish that peace. Well, that middle section is all about the Prince of Peace and the fact that the provision of God's redemption is in a person. And that person is known as the servant of the Lord. And if you think of these nine chapters, what I found so fascinating, just in the way the translators divided up the chapters, because we know Isaiah didn't put these chapters and verses there, but guess what? chapter is the center of the second section which talks about the Prince of Peace. It's a chapter you're very familiar with, Isaiah 53. And it's about the one that was wounded for our transgressions, by whose scourging we are healed. It is the song of the suffering servant. And it really begins in chapter 52 verse 13 and goes to the end of chapter 53 because God wants to make it very clear that there is only one individual that can deliver us from our sins. There is only one individual that can make us acceptable to God. There is only one individual that can bring in the peace that God has promised to his people and that individual is the servant of the Lord, the one that we are coming to remember today with the elements of the Lord's table. Now, if I look at this section, it isn't just what God has to say in Isaiah 53, but notice how it even begins at the beginning of the section in chapter 49, Isaiah 49. It says, listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord, all capital letters, Yahweh called me from the womb, and from the inner parts or the body of my mother, he named me. Isn't it amazing? What did the angel tell Mary? You'll call his name Jesus, Yeshua. That means the Lord is salvation. The Lord saves. The Lord is Savior. What is it that the angel told Joseph before Jesus was ever born? Don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he is the one who will receive the throne of his father David. 
and you will call his name. Salvation is of the Lord. The Lord is Savior. The Lord saves Yeshua, Jesus. Why? For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Do you understand that this work that God is going to do in saving his people from their sins is a very difficult and a very costly work? We don't understand that today because we think we're better than we are. Most Christians are concerned about the fact that maybe they have some financial difficulties and God can take care of them. Maybe they have some sickness or illness and Jesus is the great physician. But I have to confess that when I listen to a majority of what is being produced today in the way of Christian theology and teaching, as well as in Christian hymns which reflect the way we think, is we never really get to the issue. Dear friend, we're not sick. We're sinful. And there is no way that in our corrupt heart that is desperately sick, who can understand it? It is deceitful above everything else that you who are accustomed to doing good or evil could ever do good. It is an impossible work for man. We can't change our condition before God. And thanks be to God that there is the Prince of Peace, the one who has come to deliver us from our sin. The Lord called me from the womb. He had a commission. And from the body of my mother, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. What will come forth from his mouth is the word of God. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. He has made me also a select arrow and hid me in his quiver. He is there in a way in which he's not coming with a lot of fanfare that people will notice with his first advent as he comes as the promised deliverer. He has said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. There is Israel and there is the true Israel. There is the nation of Israel. There is the servant Israel. And both the nation and the Lord Jesus and Isaiah are called Israel. Because Israel was the name that God himself gave to Jacob as an object of his grace. And you hear the name Israel, the end is El, Elohim, God. Israel is the prince of God. And so fittingly, it applies to this servant who brings in peace. Fittingly, it applies to those who are the objects of God's grace who are going to be made princes and kings by the Lord. And what is it that God said he will do through this one? I will show my glory. And we saw, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father 
full of grace and truth. Philip, have I been with you so long? And you say, show us the Father. He that has seen me has seen the Father. The one we come to remember today is the servant of the Lord. He is the true Israel. He is the one that is manifesting God in our midst. But I said, I've toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet truly the justice due me is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. When you look at it from the earthly standpoint, Jesus Christ would appear to be a failure. In the eyes of men, we esteemed him smitten, stricken of God and afflicted, justly condemned for wrongs that he had done because he being a man claimed to be God. How we so incorrectly judge the things that God is doing when it appears that he was forsaken of God and afflicted. He was being punished for the sins of others. And like a lamb that is led to slaughter, he never opened his mouth because he was the willing substitute on behalf of others. And his reward, his honor, doesn't come from men. His reward and his honor comes from God. And so the Lord said, verse 5, who formed me from the womb to be a servant, for what purpose? to bring back Jacob to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him because I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. And he says, so the Lord is speaking to his servant, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You know why you're here today? Because God is honoring Jesus Christ. And in the program of God, it is not enough that Jesus Christ merely redeems the nation of Israel and a generation that will look upon him whom they have pierced. But he has made him to be a light to people who had no hope who were separated from God and excluded from the covenants of promise as if it was too small a thing that you should be the king of Israel and redeem Jacob back to God. I have made you to be the light unto the Gentiles. Look with me over in chapter 50. God says in verse 2, Why was there no man when I came? When I called, there was none to answer. Help can't come from man. And we think that our situation is hopeless. But what does God say? Is my hand so short it cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I'm the one who dries up the sea at my rebuke. I make the rivers... Wilderness, the fish stink for lack of water and die for thirst. And so, what's too hard for the Lord? How is he going to accomplish this great redemption? He is going to do it through the willing servant who no matter how difficult would be the task, would never say, I can't take it anymore. 
I'm not going to do it. So it says of him, the Lord, and my version has God, the Hebrew word is Yahweh, and so it's really the Lord, Lord, or Adonai Yahweh, has given me the tongue of a disciple that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. Never somebody, never did anybody speak like him as a comment that was made about Christ. How comforting he is to his people. Even when he has to rebuke them for their lack of faith, he has the tongue of a disciple, of a learned one. So I know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listening as a disciple. The Lord has opened my ear so he knows the task God has for him. And he says, I was not disobedient. I did not turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I know that I shall not be ashamed. Saying that I've grown up with and think of often in my own life is the one quitters never win, and winners never quit. If any one of us had the task that was given to Jesus Christ, we would have quit. But he set his face like flint, heading to Jerusalem, knowing that he was to be delivered over to the officials, that he'd be put to death, and that God would raise him on the third day. No wonder the Father takes delight in him. No wonder God has raised him up and given him the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ fulfilled the work that the Father gave him to do. And that work was to be sure he did not lose any one of his sheep. That work was to give to his own eternal life so that they will never perish. That work was to show the glory of God in the redemption of God's people. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. How do you begin to fathom the love that God has for his own and what he has accomplished?